Okay, welcome to the tanker panel. Uh, Randy clearly set the stage on, on the product, so it's up to the crew to, to deliver an equally good, uh, good panel. Uh, uh, we have with us today, my name is Nikolai, I head of the research team in, in DMB. Uh, and with us today we have uh, Eric from TK, Apostolos from Tacos, Bob Burke from Ridgebury, uh, Brian from Uranov, and Luis from International Seaways. So um, we calculate today in our own research that about 10% of the crude fleet uh, is tied up in, uh, uh, call it, supply one-offs. Uh, and the question is, for how long will this supply one-offs uh, last? Uh, so that's what we're going to spend the first section on. Uh, and um, I think it's fair uh, where we are today to start with you, Brian. Uh, I think you deserve the start of this panel. Uh, I assume you have been talking scrubbers for most of 19. Uh, non-stop. Non-stop. And, uh, and now vessels are taking U-turns at the yard, not installing. Uh, I guess you feel slightly more comfortable today or the past two weeks than what you've been so far this year. So um, if you look at uh, year to date, I think you've retrofitted about 80 scrubbers globally. There's 100 more to go on the VLCCs. Uh, how do you think this pan out? Uh, well, I'll, I'll go first then. <laughs> I think we're obviously not in a position to speak in terms of what the guys uh, are doing on the short term in terms of uh, equalizing that balance between uh, retrofitting and obviously um, uh, trying to take advantage of the, the current uh, very strong market. Um, but we think this is always going to have an impact. What I would say is that the temporary dislocation you talked about earlier of supply, be it Iranian vessels, the Costco vessels, whatever it may be, the retrofits have yet to really bite. So that's one thing we've been trying to get in our messaging is that this is still to come. The real impact of this is still to come. And if there is some deferral of that, then it means it's going to be good for the rest of the winter cycle because we're going to have ships obviously leaving um, the fleet. So we think it's always felt it was a very positive uh, feature, um, but obviously it does have some risk attached because of the off-hire that you're, you're having to take uh, depending on when you did that. So it's another positive feature, but our view would be it hasn't really been priced in yet. But I think the other panel of guys are a bit closer to it than we are. So the, the current rate environment is not affected by scrub raw fire yet? We think we've yet to see it really bite. Yeah. Anyone else like to comment? I mean, I, you know, I would say that uh Brian is correct in that, you know, there are a lot of new buildings that were delivered with scrubbers, but the retrofits, you know, it's really just getting underway. And, and I think that's an extra factor that um, is fundamental to the market and it will continue to cause, you know, less capacity to be available and rates will respond. But if, if ships now are taking U-turn at the yard, could, it, could we see then two, two times of fire in terms of First, ship, uh, ships go to the, to the scrub yard, and then they take a U-turn. They've been out for the market for a while, and, and when rates calm, they go back, and you have another it's, disruption. It's, it's all just math, right? I mean, if the rates are 200000 bucks a day, and you can get a cargo, then you, then you go. And if you scrub a cost $4 million, then you leave it there for a while. I mean, it's just math figuring out what the rate is now. If you go back in six months, and it's the summertime, and it's 10000 bucks a day, then you substitute one month at 200000 bucks for one month at 10000 bucks. And um, you figure out what the extra fuel is going to cost you during that interim period, and you make your decision. But how, how easy to cancel a slot? I guess you've ordered a slot, you've ordered the scrubber. Well, uh, the scrubber takes a long time to build, so there's a lead time for the scrubber. They deliver most of the parts. They never seem to get all of them there, but they deliver most of the parts to the yard. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be a policy. And um, <laughs> then you bring your ship in, 
and you can always, not always, but you would leave it there and come back later. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's 200,000 bucks a day, you can make a lot of adjustments. If, if we, uh, the, um, what really made rates go or surge over the past week is the, is the Costco uh, situation. Initially, 50 VLCC is affected, subsidiaries only control 25. What's the status of this, this ship, and for how long will that have a positive effect on the, on the tanker market? Well, it's all accretive. All these issues that have happened in the past six months are accretive. And the Costco thing has really been helpful, but you know, it, it's like my wife telling me she was a half an hour late because they asked to go back in and get something for me out of the refrigerator before we left. You know, it's the last thing that, you know, sends it over the top. But it's, it, and it seems to make you, the market go, but it's, it's a series of, you like that one, huh? It's just, it's just, <laughs> took a while to catch. Um, but, but it's a series of, you know, what happened in the Mideast. It's, um, you know, it's the scrubbers. It's the natural, um, you know, what's happened with 20, starting to happen with 2020. It's the, sub, you know, the, the uh, delivery book has, you know, filtered in. It's the restocking. It's all these things. And like in any market, when it squeezes, it finally pops. And, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and the, de the demand difference between Q3 and Q4 is dramatic in any case. You know, Q3 is your, your lowest demand quarter of the year. And Q4, you know, you're ramping up whatever, you know, anywhere, um, you know, over a million and a half, two million barrels a day. Right? So, you know, all of those things start to come into play. And the one thing that, that we didn't mention is on, on top of the Costco situation, then a couple of major charters rolled out and said, okay, no yeah. VLCCs that have been to Venezuela in a year in the, in the last 12 months, um, do we consider them to be fixable? And that was another, you know, list a fleet of vessels that add it into the complexity. So, um, you know, you, you add all these factors together and, you know, you make an inefficient market, which, you know, on top of the extra demand, Drives the rates yeah. and, and Unipac, and not just VLs, but Suez and Afras and anything else. That's true. But, but how how does that work? You know, uh, Brian, you have some VLCCs on that uh, call it the Venezuela list. Uh, can they trade? Well, I understand Exxon took one of those so-called banned uh, ships earlier today. So again, it's 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 a it's a market background which is constantly in dynamism. Um, we took those ships on a U.S. government-sponsored Chevron uh, waiver, so we're a bit perplexed to be sort of named on some of these lists as well. Um, but it is, I think, as all both Lois and, and Bob have said, it's, we're talking about short-term cumulative effects on top of what was a pretty good market anyway. The other message we want to get across, which I know everyone else would echo, is that the market's not been too bad this year. We've had pockets in um, March, April, where we had a counter-seasonal rally, another one in July, when the market got up to $45,000, $50,000 a day. Very unusual times for that to happen. That proved that the market supply-demand dynamics were pretty much in equilibrium. That's the bedrock which Lois and Bob have talked about, that has, has built that sort of popping. That's been the build-up, and that's been very important to get across to investors, that this hasn't come out of a clear blue sky. Some of these events have been shocking and have right. been shocking, but the baseload of, 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 our, of our market has been pretty firm. Yeah, I think we all agree that we were on a good trajectory for, yeah. for pop-up in rates, <laughs> but I'd like to just drill on the Costco situation, since that sent rates 10 times in, in 10 days. Uh, so, so how many ships are still out <laughs> Of trade, you, you have anyone has the number? I, I think I think if uh, the last one I heard is uh, about 25 ships directly involved in uh, Costco-related sanctions. On top of that, you have to add about another 40 or so uh, that are uh, involved in uh, Iranian uh, storage uh, situations, and then you have probably another 20 or so 
being used as storage currently for uh, IMO fuel, uh, compliant fuel situation. So um, what I would like to uh, note is that the uh, Costco-related and any sanctions-related sanctions uh, vessels, it's not easy to get them back in the market as, as easy. I mean, even if the sanctions are lifted, it takes a while before those vessels are back into the competitive market. So we expect that, although it's not a permanent, but it's probably a semi-permanent uh, situation. So we expect those vessels to, to, to be out of the market for a while, even if you know, the sanctions on Costco are lifted uh, anytime soon. I think one thing to add to is, you know, if we'd had this panel two weeks ago, uh, we would have been talking about more fundamentals around increased growth um, around um, U.S. production that's benefited the VLCC market. It's benefited the uh, Suez Max market. It's benefited the Aframax market steadily this year, quietly. Um, we also see healthy refining margins, and we also see healthy refinery throughput that's attributed towards preparation for IMO 2020. So this is a little bit of a clash of a perfect storm, too. We're, we have 30 minutes left on the panels. We're going to talk, talk about supply demand, but I think it's quite, if you, if you just, we calculate that 20 VLCC equivalents are tied up in scrubber installation, and then you have 20 in IMO fuel storage, you have 25 Costco ships, and then you have uh, um, uh, the Costco situation on top, and then the Venezuelan ban. So it's quite extraordinary, uh, at least we argue. In terms of the compliant fuel storage, uh, we count 20 VLCCs are tied up in compliant fuel storage. Uh, is this a price hedge? Is it an availability hedge? Uh, or is it a fuel spec uh, hedge? Uh, I think Brian should start with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, hadn't, I wasn't aware that it was, it was much as that, actually, I, I, and in terms of in compliant fuel. Well, obviously, we're very well uh, with our IMO webinar we did a month ago um, on the 5th of September. Um, we've got a ULCC with 3 million barrels of, of, of compliant fuel, nearly all straight run from the refinery, so not blended. Um, we're very comfortable with that. Now, we've taken a decision. We've been buying that on a progressive basis since February. Um, uh, in smaller uh, parcels getting larger and larger. And we've done that from a, a basically to de-risk our business. Um, we've got a lot of inquiry, people looking at the P&L. We're looking at this from an operational perspective. It's going to be very chaotic in Q1, we believe, and maybe even to Q2. You're not going to know quite what you're buying from certain installations. Um, we've bought at $447 per tonne. That's compared to a spot price today in the sort of north of 500. Um, we know what we've bought. We've tested it all on board ships, not in the laboratory. Um, we think we've substantially de-risked our business. That's going to be 70 to 80% of our bunkering is going to go through Singapore, where the ship is. We'll start utilizing that next month. Uh, we'll still have to bunker, in, um, in, in particular in Europe and the States. But we've done this from, a, from an operational de-risking perspective. We're not trying to game the market or try and have some sort of um, uh, play in terms of um, uh, spread. We've, we would like to hedge that position. We have not hedged it so far because we can't find a reliable proxy. Um, MGO doesn't do it. Um, uh, and, and a lot of the other fuels don't do it, which shouldn't be a surprise because this fuel didn't exist um, earlier on this year. So we're very comfortable with what we've done, but I think it's important to stress we're not trying to do it for some sort of um, uh, capital gain or profitable gain. We've done it from a business risk pers perspective. I can't speak for the others, obviously. So, so is it like you don't install scrubbers, but you take them, you hedge the price risk? Or is it availability? 
it's more it's the having the availability we know what we've got available and we know what we've bought it's a quality and a availability issue none of us are going to have any real indication of, of, of how this is going to play out and in particular we're going to have some uncertainty about the differences between the offers so the BP will be different to the shell compliant fuel for a time until we get that standardization so that's what we're trying to protect ourselves against one, one said to me yesterday that uh, the compliant fuel price is always 500 but today there is no demand uh, in January, there will be a lot of demand. Mm -hmm. uh, what will happen to the price? Uh, so, so you fear, Luis? Do you fear like availability is 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 a risk that you mitigate today, or? Well, you know, for us, we're, we are doing uh, uh, all of our modern VLCCs with scrubbers. So, you know, we we are not worried uh, presently about the availability of 3.5. Um, you know, just you know what the market has. I think there will be plentiful, and the price will drop significantly, in particular on the VLCCs. We can bunker in Singapore, Fujairah, the US Gulf, major bunkering ports around the world. For, for the uh, bulk of the rest of our fleet, you know, we will, you know, the Suez Maxis, the Aframaxis, the Panamaxis, you know, we feel pretty confident about the availability of the low sulfur. The MRs, I think you have to, um, you know, really be active in managing that MR portfolio to make sure that there's going to be low sulfur. You're going to have to bunker up. Um, it has a much higher priority than it ever did uh, for all of us as owners. And when you're planning your spot chartering, where you're going to bunker could actually drive the cargo that you take. And, and that is very rarely the case in our markets. So, you know, it's, um, you know, we look at each ship, everything has been planned for, you know, the tanks have been cleaned uh, steadily over the, the last year so that we're ready to go. Yeah, we, we all do the best we can and there's going to be chaos. But um, I mean, I'm willing to absorb, let's say, 10, 15, 20% inefficiency in our fleet to have the rates go up 50%. That's, you know, we're all gonna have problems and we're all gonna absorb it. And as a consequence, ships will not run as efficiently as they used to. And we'll all be mad that our ships off higher for five days or 10 days or whatever it happens to be. But on the other hand, we'll be a lot happier that the capacity is out of the market and the rates are up 50%. Talk, switching a bit to the demand side, uh, we in our research, we have uh, 1 million barrel higher crude runs in 2020. Uh, that's 2.5% uh, on supply, uh, or sorry, on, on, on utilization. Uh, in previous cycles, or in previous, or since 2010, there have been different fuel spec changes. Uh, and this is the largest one. And in the previous, we've seen that refinery runs has clearly output refinery additions. And uh, so, so what's your, your view on, on, call it, how much, how much more would uh, IMO have an effect on the, on the demand side? Is it 1 million barrel throughput, 2 million barrel, 3 million? Or the demand effect? I hope I, 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 I don't we're there. put anyone on the spotlight. So I, if I, anyone. I was just going to say, I, I, I think we're there. I, I think we're already seeing that, that demand at, um, uh, within the market space right now. Um, incrementally, it's, it's, it's really hard to predict, but you, you definitely do have uh, a, higher, a higher demand already uh, around um, lighter, sweeter crude production, and you're seeing that, that trade volume coming out of the United States going to multiple locations. One that's quite interesting is the European refinery. Um, they, they benefit, and we know that there's going to be a higher overall demand in Europe for distillates. 
you know, um, when you look at how many uh, refineries or what are the additions worldwide, you had more added in 2019 than what we've had in recent years. So, you know, China's brought on, I think it's um, around 700,000 barrels a day of additional refinery capacity, some of which is just coming online now. So from a crude perspective, we like to see that. Uh, you know, the, the Middle East is bringing on 400,000 barrels a day, and, and you know, that's, um, that's super for LR2s, which the stronger they are, the less of those are feeding off the Aframax market. So if you look at the underlying preparedness of the refinery market, you, you are seeing the um, refiners bring on additional capacity to be prepared to crank out, you know, more of what the market needs. I think this year you you, you have a 40-year high refinery addition, uh, 2.7 million barrel. Let's see if it's all going to be delivered. And the the the, the, the mile perspective could be quite uh, large when you see refinery additions coming in the Far East. Probably Middle East would like to expand a bit more on the product export. Uh, how, how to think about U.S. crude export in 2020? Uh, I think we're going to end up about a million barrel growth uh, this year. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we, we think you'll start seeing that now. We think you're going to get a four million mark this quarter um, because you had a million barrels of capacity coming from the Permian to the, to the coast. Um, and that became operational in September. So that's, that's a big boost. And I think the one thing we're keeping a very strong eye on is obviously all these um, offshore terminals and, and discussions with regard to take it to the next stage because the next bottleneck will be at the port itself. But no, I think it's, it's, it's pretty clear to get to, to four million and then to five million sometime in 2020 because of that you've, you've, re you've now solved a lot of that bottleneck that we were talking about in the second half of 19. So, so you, see, you see 5 million already in 2020? This, the, 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 the potential for, yeah, in terms of capacity. Uh, as I was saying earlier, I mean, we're expecting you know, more uh, crude to reach the uh, U.S. Gulf. Uh, Is your mic on? We're expecting we're expecting uh, more U.S. crude to reach uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, Gulf ports. Eventually, we're expecting more Permian crude to be uh, transported to the U.S. Gulf with all the new pipelines that come into play. So, hopefully, by the end of 2020, we're expecting a total of 4.5 million barrels of U.S. Uh, crude to be exported. By end 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Four and a half. Four and a half. And, you know, definitely, you know, going down to, uh, you know, Corpus Christi and going out to see, you know, now, now you've got VLCCs that are loading park cargo at the dock and then going out to top up with Aframaxis. And when, you know, the agent that was taking us out to the VLCC got lost because the um, rapid uh, infrastructure, all the tanks that are being built, you know, the, the it's changing the landscape constantly. So you just see all this crude that's right. finally um, epic. And there, there was another pipeline that just came on. You know, you start to see them come down and the storage is being put in place. The U.S. Gulf is going to be um, really big. I don't know if we'll get to, to, you know, 5 million in 2020, but I hope you're right. And, and for sure, we're, we're seeing significant growth in the exports. Uh, Lois, who do you think is going to win the race? Who's going to be the, 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 the center of that U.S. export trade? Is it going to be Corpus Christi? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you look at US trade war has had an impact on the average sailing distance out of the US, it's, it's, it's just stopped growing. Uh, so I think uh, the latest number we have, it was close to 7,000 nautical miles on average US exports. Now it's come down to six, seven or 6,700. Mm -hmm. Middle East is about four and a half. Uh, so it's clearly accretive to ton mile. Could probably then the refinery additions now actually boost ton mile again in, in yeah. 2020 or do we need a solution to the trade war? 
Go ahead. No, I, I think it's definitely going to continue to increase. I mean, there are a lot of places besides China in that part of the world that take our crude in. There's Taiwan and um, uh, Singapore and a lot of other places, North, uh, South Korea. Um, so it should continue. No, you know, absolutely. And you see, I think it's one of the impacts that we really haven't um, focused on very much uh, today. But, you know, after the Saudi attack, I think that Asian markets are, you know, look for reliability of uh, exports and they reach for Brazil, they reach for the incremental barrels coming out of West Africa and the U.S. Gulf. And all of that helps our ton mile. Yeah, it, um, it helps, helps the ton mile and also the diversification of loading ports and discharge ports help create inefficiencies in the market. I mean, if you had all the oil came from point A to point B, the system would be very efficient. But with the uncertainty and the de-risking of getting oil from, you know, one part of the world, it creates more load ports and discharge ports. And it's the same thing with the, uh, with the, the Exxon uh, suspension of, the, of a lot of the ships out of Venezuela. Those ships will load somewhere. It just creates more inefficiencies in the system, which I think are as important as, as you know, some small increase in ton miles that we calculate. So you have all these things in the system that are creating inefficiencies, and that drives you know, the, the, the market as much as anything. People don't want to load ships over 15 years old. People don't want ships that are on the Exxon list. People don't want ships that are on the Unipec list. Ships, people don't want ships you know, for all different reasons, and suddenly the amount of ships available for any one fixture gets diminished, and the market pops. And as Brian said, then all of a sudden people have exceptions when they realize they've got to pay world scale 237 and a half, and then it comes back down again. And I mean, not the, no, the world's not going to spend uh, seven, eight, nine bucks a barrel to move oil across the earth. It doesn't work that way. So people will be squeezed and forced to pay for a couple of voyages, and then they'll find other ways to move the oil or other places to go to, or they'll start accepting ships that they didn't accept last week, and then it comes back to earth. Another area to just mention um, that, that we are seeing uh, uh, as a buyer that's emerging and growing is, is the South Americas, um, Brazil and, uh, and Chile, uh, both, both now buying U.S. crude as well. Right. So, and that, that does increase the ton mile. It's a positive story um, for tankers and for tankers owners. It's also an opportunity to, uh, to optimize the way that they're trading their, uh, their voyages uh, because we are seeing Brazil uh, start to uh, recover as well in, in the offshore production side. So uh, if, you were to, if you were to give a number on, on 2020 ton mile demand, uh, what would that be? Brian? What percentage growth? Yeah. Um, four to five. I think it's seven to eight. Increase? Increase? <laughs> yeah. Ton mile demand. Not number. rates. We're, we're <laughs> you're, you're private. You can, you can say whatever you want. It's a private answer. 12%. 12%? No, no, no. Uh, 5%, 6%. But I, th I think it's more than that. It's the inefficiencies in the market that drive the rates up. Yeah. That, that's really what I believe to a large degree. Uh, I like Bob Day Bob's answer. Increase. Um, I, I wouldn't put a number on it. Uh, it's not a but definitely increase. You take yeah, probably year on year or something around 6%. Yeah. DMB has 6%. Let's see. Uh, in terms of ordering, um, uh, IMO 2020, a clear catalyst. Uh, but the, you know, the ESG wave has really hit uh, past uh, year uh, and accelerated past six months and again accelerated past three months. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about you know, if the cash you make now, all of a sudden you are, your share prices are in the print territory, uh, use of proceeds and so forth. But global shipping order books today are 15 year low. Uh, 
and the contracting pace today is half what it's been the past 10 years. Uh, so now you order more or less for replacement of the fleet. So um, how to think about ordering now? Do people uh, fear to order a vessel if new build prices could come down uh, with no orders? Uh, what's the propulsion risk, design risk if you order today? You know, for international seaways, we've been active in the, the secondhand market, and that's how we uh, purchased all of our vessels, uh, the nine uh, modern crude and, you know, Suez and uh, Vs that we've ordered. I think that it is really um, a, a crux point from the propulsion perspective. If you want to, you know, are you going to order a VLCC with an LNG engine for an extra 15 to $17 million? And you know you're you're making a um, you know this is, these assets have 20 to 25 year life, and you know is that going to be the the most efficient system, or is that going to um, you know then be deemed by customers to not be acceptable? So I, I think that you know it's it's you know we should think long and hard about what we're doing um, rather than run headlong out and order ships. Um, I mean, I think there's a number of factors on top of what Lois has said there, but uh, in particular, um, you've got the Basel IV, which people have forgotten about in 21-22, which is going to restrict bank lending for a, such a volatile asset class such as large crew tankers, unfortunately, given the history of our, of our asset class. That's going to be another constraint. You've talked about the ESG sort of factor and focus, the LNG side of things, and the fact that peak oil is going to be within the life of when you order this ship. It's going to take two years to be delivered. Peak oil is either coming in late 20s or, or, or in the mid-2030s. So you've got that to contend with. So it's a very difficult cocktail to um, go to to get financing um, uh, and, and that profile. So that is a positive because it's putting people off ordering. And as Lois said, but I think we will get some LNG. We will get some propulsion changes because it has mm -hmm. to make that step change. And then that's going to have another change logically because it's going to arguably um, uh, accelerate the obsolescence of the older tonnage as well, of which we've got, what, 30 VLCCs every year getting towards that other end of that tonnage. I know Bob might have a different view on that, but that to us is a, is a reasonably positive setup on what a marketplace which looks to be in reasonably decent uh, equilibrium between demand and supply. So it's, it's a positive trend that we should be um, <laughs> welcoming, and let's hope there's not pockets of capital out there which will see people go to the shipyards, because the shipyards are in a discount mode in terms of uh, new builds. <coughs> We don't order new ships. We buy second-hand vessels, um, not because of You don't buy second-hand, you buy old ships. Yeah, uh, uh, now, now you got me started. <laughs> who, I asked this last month in London. Who here has been on an airplane this month? Anyone? Everybody. Everyone? Who's been on a rail car or a train? Has anyone here asked how old that plane was before they got on it? It crossed my mind many times. So we're comfortable putting our loved ones and ourselves into an airplane and blowing it into the air at 550 miles an hour, and the average plane gets scrapped at 29 years old. And it, you know, people say, well, they should be scrapped at 20. Who, who says that? You, know, you want an old ship, and the steel is perfectly fine. And the 20-year number comes from I don't know where, but it's not from our engineers. You know, it seems like the other transportation industries have engineers that they listen to who design assets for a longer period. And I often get the point about old ships, and most people have not been on ships over 15 years old or 20 years old. Most people have been on bridges that are 100 years old or 50 years old. So my view is, if you look at the, economic, or the, the environmental life cycle of an asset, which, has anyone seen the definitive study on the environmental life cycle of a VL or a Suez? Because I don't think it exists. To, to, make, to take 40,000 tons of steel, which takes a lot of energy and build a ship, 
and then melt it down 19 years later. Is that the best way to do things? I mean, we tell our kids to use things as long as they can. We no longer want single-use plastic. So what's the right life cycle for a ship? Is it 15 years? People now call them old. People have 15-year-old cars, 40-year-old rail cars. So where does 20 come from? It come, it's left over from Open 90. That was a negotiated number um, with the IMO. So the, the ships are built for longer lives. They're actually not built for life. They're built to international class standards, and it's about the thickness of steel. So what I, they're great assets, and people seem to like them this week, and they're paying for them the same price they pay for new ships because they do the same job. So it's, it's a, I think it's a view that's been taken without any real foundation of what the environmental impact is. Um, you know, there's a lot of criticism about scrapping in India, too. I think in India, they re-roll 90% of the steel. And people say that you should scrap in Europe. Europe melts it all down. Is that more efficient? I don't think so. So if you want to reduce scrapping, if ships last 25% longer to 25 years or 30 or whatever the right number is, there's less scrapping. So I think what we have to look at is what is the right environmental life cycle for an asset. I think we're smarter than just to say 20. I mean, that's a single number. You know, we're fairly smart people. So I think that should be looked at more than just saying 15 or 20. So, so, so what will I'm you do? I'm glad you asked that. Thank you. What, 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 what will happen when your ships become 20? Oh, they'll be scrapped. They will be scrapped. You decide. Because, you know, people say, I want a new ship. Well, I want a new car. You know? It, it actually, actually, I mean, Bob, if you look at it, if you look I mean, but, but why? why? I mean, it moves the same oil. It passes the same vettings, and it has the same, right. you know, it goes through class society. I agree with you absolutely, and if you look at the age up until 2018 at which tankers had been scrapped, on average over time it was 25. Right. And 2018, you know, markets were, were very tough and, and uh, you know, cash was thin and people had to really look at, um, okay, how much, you know, ballast water treatment, I'm not, you know, do I want to do a scrubber, and, and they, they, more people decided to scrap, but on average. And that's an economic decision. Yes. Right. right. Yes. Right. But environmentally, people say, well, it burns more. You know, they burn more fuel, they do, but of course we all know it's, it's the life cycle. It's what does it take to build a new one, what does it take to scrap the old one, and everything in between. It's not just one number. What's a new ship burn in fuel? What's an old ship burn in fuel? It's more, it's more than that. So they will be scrapped because no one will employ them because everyone says, I don't want a 20-year-old ship. Like year-to-date, I think we've seen VLCC has been scrapped around five. Uh, what's the guesstimate for 2020? I know it's market-dependent. <laughs> no, uh, but uh, but, uh, but if, are we now heading more towards, you know, people are with this surge in rate, uh, people will just finish the 20 dry dock and, and move on and sail for another two and a half years? Potentially. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. If the market, if you know, f first of all, the ships, to, to Bob's point, are at least built for 25 years. So, you know, you have a vessel that's written down and, and that is perfectly um, safe and sound. And, and, you know, as long as there's a market for it. In the meantime, what's happening is the V fleet, you know, the crew fleet in general, and specifically focusing on the Vs, is getting older. And so when you have the next downturn, you, you will see a high level of scrapping. That would be pent up. And, and it, again, it's just math. You look at a, a dry docking for a special survey, whatever it's going to be, you know, two million bucks, three million bucks. Um, and what's the freight market? And you get out of service for a month, and can you make it on a few voyages or a year? And you, you can scrap it at 21. You don't have to go to the next survey, but you just have an option. And, and at the end of the day, it comes down to the charter's appetite in terms of being able to offer certain uh, long term charters for whatever you want to call a vessel that is over 15 years of age. So if this is the case, people will definitely keep the vessels uh, uh, for, for a few more years. But uh, what we have seen so far is that uh, after the 15th 
um, year or so, charters are very reluctant in offering certain long-term charters for certain vessels. So basically, it will depend on how charters will also view uh, what Robert says. Yeah. And, and different ships, you know, are taken care of differently. We we bought a ship from Euronav that was phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Right. We bought three from DHT and we bought four from uh, that were BP ships. So it's not every ship, it's ships that were taken care of right. and built well. How, how to think about secondhand values? Uh, in twenty eight, in two thousand and eight, there were three and a half year lead time uh, to the yards. In twenty fifteen, there were two and a half year lead time to the yard. Uh, now they, we hear that you can get the scrubber fitted VLCC for in 2021 20, Q1 delivery. That's one and a half year delivery time. So, so how does, um, call it uh, no orders at the yard, uh, combined with low lead times, you have super profits today, but in terms of transactional value of ships, do we see now entering a period with no asset transactions and very thin liquidity, or, or could we see start to see ships being transacted at, at high levels? I mean, you know, one thing I, I, I do agree that the yards are, are eager, they're always quite eager, but you, you do have uh, a large amount of LNG orders that are looking still to be placed, and those are generally placed in high quality Korean yards and you know, dry cargo is healthy, the container market, you know, your LPG market is healthy. So, you know, it's kind of the first time since the Great Recession where you have healthy fundamentals across the space so that um, there, there is a, a need to replace the fleet from all different sectors, not only tankers. So I think that will help us to push some of those windows out um, as far as, uh, you know, tankers, I mean, um, yards being too hungry for orders. I think until we as a group start returning money to the people who gave it to us, there's not going to be a lot more forthcoming for, uh, for new builds in a, in, a, in a massive way. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is, you know, it, it, right now the, the, the fundamentals on, uh, uh, on the supply side are you, you do have the opportunity within uh, ships between 15 and 20 that are coming up that are looking at the economics of uh, installing BWTS or not, um, or potentially selling um, towards scrap. Uh, the opportunity is there and we're probably going to see that. The caveat that I put in that is, but with, with a higher volatile market that we're in right now, if it's sustained for the next six months, you may see owners really revisiting those decisions. And you may see some behavior where, where some potential investors do go to yards, but it, it, it works counterintuitive to uh, a, a consolidation. Friday, or last Monday, VLCC rates were 100. On Friday, they were 300. Today, they came in at 225. Mm -hmm. I think the main, the main question now is, where will they trough before they go back up again? I won't ask you about you know guidance for next year and stuff, but what what what's uh, uh, you you said that you know Costco that's just part of, part of it you know so if you, if you stand behind that uh, are they going to trough at 100 or 150 or trough at trough at 70 to 100 in this quarter and then go up again 70 to 100 next quarter and then this go quarter. up again this, this quarter this quarter we're in the same pool but I'm going to do the chartering so yeah <laughs> I'm kidding but I I, I think uh, I don't think it's going to go below 100 but. Don't below 100. No. Okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. I'm, I'm waiting for the cleanup wave. You know what the cleanup wave is? Remember you used to go to the beach and you hit by a wave or two and you could stand up and then the cleanup wave came and got you? It wasn't the biggest wave, but it was the one that took you down. 
So I think all we need is one little more thing in the VL market and it goes back up again. Because yeah. it's, it's that last inflection you know, that, that knocks you. The uh, global Aframax earnings right now are on, you know, at the, the headline is trading right around $59,000 a day. Um, it, a, a broker had said to me about a week and a half ago, well, uh, there's, there's a new floor and it was and, it, and it's now, and that was when the returns were around $29,000 a day. I'll just say I hope he's right. But I do think that there is optimism. I'll probably have to agree with Lois on uh, numbers, but uh, we would pay more attention to the one-year time charter that's been offered out there. And I think this is really probably a better indicator as to where the market is heading. So we have seen a, quite a substantial move in the one-year time charter that's been offered. So, so, so what's the latest you hear on the one-year time charter? On the VLs, I think it's around sixty-five to $70,000 a day. So if this number... Without, without scrubber and non-eco or...? Uh, eco. Eco, eco, eco without scrubber. Without scrubber. Okay. So if this, if this number, if we see transactions down, a number of transactions, one-year time charters, uh, these figures, uh, I think uh, this market has legs. Would you take, would you take uh, one year at 65? When you can take 45 days at 300? Or you, you, you did on Friday. Uh, I was going to ask in terms of that might be a 65 on a screen, but I, 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 haven't, see, I haven't seen any element of that. So uh, no, we wouldn't take it. Would you take 65 for a year? You know, what, what I would say is that, you know, everything is um, depending upon what are you fixing, when are you fixing, and even, even you had to say, okay, is that with Echo, is that Scrubber, you know, the market's getting a little bit more complex. And I think um, for owners, we like to see it build into its own strength and, you know, um, this this uh, type of rocketing up, it's like the defibrillator on a dead patient, and then goes. You know, <laughs> you, you know. I would love to see a more steady, sustained market, and I think we will. So I think it's it's. Um, you know, we've we've all got our calculators out and running everything that because you, what you knew yesterday is not the way you're going to run your numbers today, and you just have to be quick, fleet-footed. I'm, go, I'm just going to add one comment. Like, if, 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 you, if you look at who got the highest rate last time, it was the single hull, since that was the last, last ship on the shelf. That's right. And probably now, you know, we talk about eco ship or scrubber ships, but it's probably going to be the oldest ship that gets the highest rates, the last on the shelf. We Let's win see. again, Bob. We, we, um, it, in a market like this, when you TC a ship, it's exactly where it is in the world, because if it's at the starting line, you get a high rate, because it's taken out for a long period of time. But the problem the past week has been, and we were offered, uh, 45,000 from a trader for a 19-year-old V. Um, but the market moved so past the pa pa fast the past couple of days, um, people didn't want to commit to that because if the market falls away from them, they can't fix it, they own a, they own a bad deal. And I don't want to sell it because I own the opportunity. I want to monetize that as fast as I can. So it's hard to fix anything in a market like this. Okay, I think we ran out of time. Thank you, everyone, uh, for joining yeah. the panel.